Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome everyone, you're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian. Thanks to Jazz and Quentin for another Friday Neon. Um, we're continuing the series that we began three weeks ago about local government and it's it's a lead up to the 28th of March where we'll all be required to go to the polls and choose our candidates. So we're trying to bring out the issues that are important for people and across the state. We have been focusing in the southeast corner so far. We have had an interview with Rob Pine up in North Queensland, and he, of course, was involved in the exposing of corruption in local government. We'll have a special guest with us who can tell us more about that later. But one issue that I wanted to address was the question of land rights. Um, who owns the land and what does local government have to do with um, how that land is developed. So I prepared this introduction and then we'll go to an interview with one of the um, Indigenous people involved in that struggle, Karen Coghill. So let's, let's go to this intro now. Yesterday, on Thursday the 27th of February, I drove out to Deeping Creek near Ipswich, about an hour from Brisbane. I went via the Centenary Highway and arrived at stage one of a housing development at a roundabout where the Centenary Highway converges with both Grampian Drive and Pasali Drive. The latter road was named after Ipswich former Mayor Paul Pasali, who is now in jail for corruption associated with land developers. Surely authorities should review the name of the road. Along Grampian Drive on the other side were new houses and on the side that I was on was bushland. I could see two camps in the bush, both with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags waving. The bushland was similar to country that I grew up on, a place called Mogul, just across the Brisbane River from Ipswich. It was a farming, dairy and pineapple growing district in the 1950s when I was a kid. It is now a collection of housing estates and equestrian training venues, with some fairly wealthy looking blocks of two and a half acres with mansions on them. But further and closer to the Mogul school, there's cheek by jowl housing. Some Aboriginal land sat idle after colonisation. The Bora rings, middens, carvings, scar trees, rock art, they remained relatively untouched. Aboriginal people were rounded up and put on missions, like the one at Deebing Creek. So I parked my car at the end of the Grampian Drive and began walking over country. 
Along the way, I saw Nissen huts left there by the army. I saw the old mission and school, but they were only visible through the large palms and trees planted there. The buildings had long since gone. The ground is sandy loam and the grass lush after rain, with the creek flowing into small lagoons. High-tension power lines cross the land. They head towards the Swanbank power station along an easement in the bushland, once the sole preserve of the Yagara people. Now land has become valuable. Small blocks with houses covering 90% of the blocks are selling from 328,000, says the developer's sign across the road. This may seem cheap to people living in Brisbane, but the houses are squashed together. No trees or gardens can grow on these blocks. The authorities who allowed this cared little about the quality of the townships that they were building, townships like Ripley. State government only wished to provide cheap dwellings for workers needed to service southeast Queensland. The rich people were moving in and the poor people were moving out. It was Queen Victoria who stole the land from Aboriginal people. Now the land has become valuable, deals have to be done. Governments and NGOs report alarming statistics of drug use, domestic violence, family breakdown, youth incarceration and suicide in these districts. Developers like Stockland, A.V. Jennings and Frasers want the land. At Studio 188, two groups have challenged them, one under the banner of sovereignty and the other under the banner of traditional ownership and native title. The people who are claiming native title, they're in negotiations in the Ipswich Civic Centre with the developer and with a group that is called Plan C, who seem to be a group of planners, people who are intermediaries between developers, mining companies, whoever finds the land to be valuable, and the Aboriginal traditional owners. I spoke with Karen Coghill from the Sovereignty Group, who today has held up a work in progress in building stage two of that development. Let's go to Karen's uh, talk now. Can you please introduce yourself? Oh, hi. My name's Karen Gurry, also known as Karen Coghill. I'm of the Yagra Gurry people here on Mianjin. Tulmars. We're standing at Deben Creek here, the old mission site, reservation that was established right back 1800s. It was established leading up into Federation 1901 and it's been a pivotal point for a lot of our people here on the East Coast, not just the East Coast but from areas even from the Territory. People coming and brought to these areas. There was 6,000 people processed through this place, and I mean processed in respectfully, I want to be respectful to all descendants, but if you checked your records, a lot of your family members around these areas have all been through Deebing Creek, and it's a hidden history. And a lot of our people all over the world really need to know this history that has stemmed from centuries ago under an aristocracy that has imposed devastation and annihilation upon the original peoples and their lands all over the world. We're west of Ipswich. We're near a suburb called Ripley, just off the Centenary Highway. I grew up in country like this. It's It's been taken over and it's part of its grazing land. Now, who owns the land? See, that, that concept there is an introduced concept to these lands. When there's a relationship, you don't own no one. If you get, you know, charged for controlling your partner, and that's how we look at the land, Dara. 
Is there a name here? It's a, it's a relationship, a healthy, rebalanced relationship that all mankind was governed by all over the world. It was natural law. And now we've got a system that comes to subdue and maim and destroy, and that's what we're doing about calling out sovereignty for what it really is. Are this Australian government sitting on a lodial title? Because in our all our history books, they don't. The original peoples are still here, and the notion of terra nullius, which only was an um, idea, imposed into a legislation that caused catastrophic holocausts all over this country has never been brought really and truly to account, even though we've had high court judgments or, or the UN interventions or whatever they do. We've never had it right. And it's now we're saying all peoples that share these lands with us have to stand up and get it right. And that's why we're at Deebing Creek, because it's one of the pivotal points where a lot of our first contact happened and occurred. And um, DK is probably going to speak about it a bit later. Uh, the word is that he was showing me was that there's a, even this word that means that right from the start. Ab initio. It means that everything right from day dot was void and and... That's what we're addressing. Show us how you obtain these lands, Britain, France, America, China, all these countries that got a finger in the pie over our lands and natural resources, India now, causing catastrophic devastation and threat to our reef, our barrier reef that's survived thousands of centuries. This is unbelievable that we sit here underneath a force controlling government that subdues people by by enslaving them to a monetary system that no man on the planet can meet not even the greatest the queen herself or any of these presidents can match living affluently with all these billions of dollars because they just as demonstrated they only get greedier and that's what we're doing we're saying how did you obtain these lands when at what stage did our people say bring your law here, we're happy to run it in our country. No, we're not, and that's what we're addressing, and that's when we stand here united. It's Gori Sovereign United Council, and we are many tribes, and it's international, this issue. It's beyond Australia's. They, uh, Australia's that locked down that even the wider public don't even know their rights, and we're watching them coming down here to Deebing Creek and telling us how they're facing five-year jails for a fingerprint on something. You know, these kind of, this justice system is absolute crap and the whole lot of it, right from day dot. And when they turn around and say, Captain Cookie, come here, they got to go and traumatise us again with this next endeavour thing that just reeks psychological, spiritual and, you know, and then they wonder why, oh, you're not meeting your targets at Job Network or Centrelink. We're devastated, traumatised and dysfunctional because of this ugly system that controls us. So what was here at Deebing Creek before colonisation? Colonisation, well, this was here with the evidences that we are never allowed to access, like you've got personal histories who asks you to go and ask your family members that live in other states to give you permission to access, even as in your 30s, 40s and 50s, where you're regarded over 18 as an adult and of sound mind, these black statutory bodies sit over our countries and withhold evidences. we got to rely on the whole wider community to come here and fill the gaps just because we only had the oral histories. Now, back to what your original question is. We had, we got evidences of borer grounds here in these lands. We've got scar trees. We've found clay 
traditional pipes, boomerangs. We've got we we got spirituality untainted and the stories of our living culture still practiced here in these lands even in the 21st century we got scar trees that are only 30 50 years old so our ongoing culture has always been practiced here and we've always maintained connection here and even if it isn't just me individually but families that i'm related to and even the wider public have all had access to these lands and one of the things that really cements at home is that there's spirituality over these lands is so strong even the wider public see it just up the road here i've been walking near where there used to be a school and i can see a big palm tree and a big old elm tree there uh, Kuri anthropologists have been there and they've sifted through the soil and they've found uh, human remains of, uh, of young people and, and, and other people. So there's something has gone on here in the past uh, in that during colonisation. Given that history, how do you get the land back? <laughs> Isn't it normal in, in the... Um Westminster system to protect bones and all of, you know, sacred objects and all that. Why do they just do that to our people, want to develop over it? Over this, how many years ago was that founded? I didn't know of that story. DATSIP, the statutory bodies these governments put over the top of us. But that's it. what does that stand for, sorry? Department of Aboriginal Partnerships, whatever. Jackie it's Trad's invention. A state that government Labor government yeah. Okay, yeah. sits there and she makes decisions for our people. She's not any bloodline connection to these lands or to our people. I don't even think she'll have an original person as a relative. But yet she is put up there under these governments to make serious decisions for us. A woman that never even known Deebing Creek before, probably until we protested or till she it's come up and dollar signs arose when they want to sell, sell the land. That's it. Queensland South Native Title Services who sits under Kevin Smith, another statutory body. They withhold all our information. That is horrifying to hear that they actually found that evidence because that oral history has been passed down from generations to us that our grannies siblings that were in that school they were safely in a graveyard but we did hear that they were mass murdered now they found three trenches down here of suspected massacre sites how could we trust the now they're saying oh it's unfounded because it's got to get the records from britain how the hell are we supposed to trust britain and the australian government with our shit they don't even let us access to it that's what i want you to really put out is that they failed us. Our governments, our, the statutory bodies they create with the culturally inappropriate people that they put over as the decision makers for original peoples of these lands and especially original sovereigns are a different people to Aborigines. We don't like the label Aborigine. That is a label that's been canonised from Rome. That is all right through their legislation. It's a label. That doesn't belong to us. It's not our nationality. It is a label that tells us that we're less than what they call a citizen. So we want to be acknowledged as the true original custodians, owners, original sovereigns with a lodium title over these lands that supersedes Australian government, American government, the French, all of their laws and even the Vatican's 
church, the institutions that have subdued many, many people throughout the Western world. We're pushing back. We're not Australian citizens. We weren't ever British subjects. And for two centuries they've been here. They need to they need to be held accountable and justice because it keeps repeating. And no, we no. just want reparations to the damage. And Debian Creek is where one of the hubs of stolen generations, what Link Up fails to even acknowledge, what any of these statutory bodies fail to acknowledge. This is the hub of stolen wages and stolen generations when first contact with the white man for many of our ancestors from these lands. That was uh, Karen Coghill from the Guri Sovereign Land Council um, talking there about uh, getting justice for Debing Creek out near Ipswich. I have with me now um, a, a special guest today. I'd like to welcome him to the show. And could you introduce yourself, Cole? Thank you, Ian, and thank you for the invitation to be there. Um, my name's Colin Hewitt. I am the president of the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance. Uh, basically, QLGRA, as it is known, was established um, officially back in 2013. Um, to oppose the amalgamations, the forced amalgamations of councils across Queensland. Since then, of course, the local government reform uh, part of our title has become paramount as between uh, previous governments and current governments. De-amalgamating councils today is almost impossible, as a matter of fact. It um, sounds like it could be in the same area as the land rights, uh, and I'm not being disrespectful there in any way. Yeah, so <coughs> is local government broken in Queensland? Seriously, seriously broken, yes. Mm. Um, <coughs> we are supposed to be a democracy, and I hate that word democracy because we are not. Our state government is a single-tier government, that's a dictatorship by definition in the Oxford Dictionary. Our councils are single-tier government, as they call it now, which is a dictatorship. We have situations where councils are making decisions without consultation, and the same as um, state government, we just heard on those land rights, are making decisions without consultation with the people. And until such time as the ruling of the people comes back to being in the hands of the people, we do not have a democracy. And the legislation, which in a lot of areas is being reformed right at the moment, um, needs very, very serious reform uh, even further. And some of the reforms going through, we do applaud. We've um, worked with the government on, on instigating some of those reforms or bringing them about and some of the other reforms we feel are either inadequate or do not go far enough. I first met you a few years ago outside the Queensland Parliament. There was a press conference that had been called by Rob Pine and he was calling upon the state government to give real teeth to the uh, Crime and Corruption Commission and have it really have powers like that of our Royal Commission. Uh, at the time, he was very worried about the corruption in councils like Ipswich. Um, now, what... 
since then, what what have you, your organisation, you been doing since uh, the Operation Belcara, you know, brought forward a lot of those charges, and a lot of the people now are in jail. Yeah, well, that's that's excellent. Um, however, once again, I, I go back to what I, I just said earlier. Some of these reforms that have come about because of Operation Belcara have not gotten far enough. Secondly, we still uh, support what Rob Point started. This state needs a full ICAC, independent, not an independent government or parliament appointed leader, an independent ICAC and uh, similar to New South Wales. And our Triple C is, although they have put some runs on the board recently, and they put some good runs on the board, they're, st- they're still perceived to be failing in many, many areas. Well, they've sacked Ipswich Council, but you can hear there from that interview with um, Karen, she's not mincing words about the failure of Ipswich Council. They've obviously uh, cosied up to land developers of choice. They've pretended to be land developers themselves, and they're trying to address what seems to be a housing crisis. Uh, Not all of their own making, um, but I, I drove yesterday through Ripley and the problems that I saw there, anyone could see, where you have tiny blocks of land uh, covered 90% by houses. I I doubt whether if there was a fire, a fire brigade could get into some of those places uh, to put it out. So there's, there's big money, big profits being made there and the council has gone along with it. Um, have you got any comments about that? That's just not in Ipswich, and unfortunately. Um, the original, and we can go back quite some number of years, was Mount Cotton in the Redlands. Uh, that was under the Cleveland Council back then. And um, it was raised by emergency services that they were not happy with the houses. We've seen it in Morton, we've seen it in Logan. Um, where the big developers come in and do what they want. And we have situations where emergency services have said straight out, you get a fire at the back of your house, run, because there's nothing we can do about it. We cannot access anything beyond the street. Now, that's on record, public records from emergency services. You also have that with ambulance and police if they have to get through because the streets now are so much narrower that a decent-sized fire brigade will have, at times, difficulties or find it impossible to navigate the streets. So, um, smaller blocks. I was looking at one the other day, 600 and something odd thousand dollars for 180 square metre building block in Logan. That is ridiculous. My garage is nearly that big, you know? And, and this is all to do with the God Almighty dollar. That day, a few years ago, I think it was 2015, um, also at the press conference was uh, the president of the Ratepayer and Residents Association at Ipswich, Jim Dodderall, and he also was making the call that you were making for an ICAC style of inquiry into local government. Let's go to that interview now that I did with, um, with Jim just uh, uh, last week and hear what he has to say. In 2007, there were 156 local government councils in Queensland 
and they were amalgamated down to 77 councils. Was that a good or a bad thing? Look, difficult to say because I really don't know, um, you know, on a case-by-case basis uh, what the needs were for some of those jurisdictions. Um, I suspect that some of those, particularly um, more remote communities, did need um, local representation and and they may have lost um, some of the quality of representation with the amalgamations. That that may well be the case. What I would say more broadly, um, having had um, our council under administration for a number of years, is that we really don't need councillors most of the time. I mean, you know, the under, you know, some bureaucrats, you know, the bins still get emptied once a week, the parks still get mowed, the roads still get repaired, etc., etc. We don't need councillors uh, to do those things. They, they just get done. Um, now, people sometimes are under the belief that you need to have councillors there because if you have a a special needs, like there's a pothole outside, you know, on the road outside your house, then you bring up the councillor and um, and they'll intercede on your behalf and they'll make sure that that's fixed up for you and all that kind of stuff. Well, what came out of the C hearings and what has come out of the reforms uh, that have come from the, um, the Office of Local Government um, are that Councillors shouldn't be doing those things. Councillors aren't there to to work for an individual or a or a mate. You know, um, I've got a mate down the road who who wants something. You know, the footpath fixed up outside of his his house. That, that's not the job of councillors. Um, so then you have to question what are councillors really there for, and and do we really need them? Um, and it's been suggested that councillors are there to create policy um, for local government um, areas and but again you'd have to question um, are there not professionals out there who could do a better job um, than people who you know some guy you know who at a Labour Party or an LNP meeting put up his hand and they and everybody said okay we'll back him we'll pre-select him or her are they going to be any better than a, an engineer, for example, um, employed by council who has a look at a particular issue and says, right, this is the policy that we need to have. Or on waste management, is somebody who's, you know, got no prior experience going to be better than a, a, a waste expert within council um, who can direct policy in relation to that? So so I guess my what I'm trying to say here is that I'm not too sure that we really do need um, councils in some instances, um, um, but it would have to be looked at as far as amalgamation goes and whether it benefited any local government authority area uh, would have to be looked at closely on a case-by-case basis. In the, um, the ward where I live, the big issue, the elephant in the room, is that the access that developers have to change the environment for the worse of where we live and they do that directly through council they virtually own city hall at the same time there are people concerned citizens like yourself who are forming groups to try to wrest from them control of 
what their their suburb, their city, their town, their shire, shire looks like. You know, yep. for example, we have the Queensland Government Reform Alliance, who have a number of, uh, of of issues that they want to have changed. You know, they yep. they took up the cudgels on de-amalgamation of some of the shires which were very badly amalgamated and they were yep. su- they were successful in parts of doing that so yeah how do we as citizens get the the real issues up and and have a change when yeah. we're on a slippery slope to nowhere at the moment yeah look i i completely understand that and one of the reasons why um the Ipswich Ratepayers and Residents Association was formed was directly in relation to the massive land clearing that was going on in the Ipswich area, which was wiping out wholesale um, areas of land which were um, very valuable koala habitat. Um, Not just koalas, though. You know, we have platypuses, we had bat colonies, and they were all being wiped out in the name of development. Um, Now... We actually pushed and pushed um, the previous council to put the brakes on and to allow us to be able to discuss the issue um, so that we could have some sort of sensible compromise or or, or some sustainable um, element to development. Uh, they wouldn't listen. They didn't want a bar of it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they're gone. Now... Under administration, uh, Brett Chamello was the actual administrator of Ipswich City Council. He actually instigated um, some CRG groups, uh, and one of them was an environmental CRG or community reference group. Now, uh, one of part of the um, terms of reference for that was that um, whatever was discussed at those CRG meetings, and I was a member of the environmental CRG Ipswich. Um, whatever was discussed and res- and resolved at those CRGs would be put to council decision makers. Now, I believe that's the answer. I, I believe Greg Tumello, um, you know, he saw what was needed and he's actually um, made that into a template for other councils, other jurisdictions to use around Queensland. So they have, for example, a CRG for environment, as I mentioned. They also have a CRG for planning, and they have a CRG for governance and economics, I believe, and a number of others. And those report back directly to the relevant areas within council, and um, policymakers and decision makers take those um, those ideas that came from the CRGs and use those in drafting new policy. Uh, And I believe that's the way forward. I believe that councillors who are controlled by either the ALP or the LNP are not the answer because inevitably, as as well-meaning as some of those councillors might be uh, leading up to an election, um, once they're in there, the um, the state or federal MP who controls that faction or controls that group of councillors will ultimately tell them what to do and how to act. And that may come about because of pressuring or lobbying from property developers or or other um, big business um, interests. We believe it should be a grassroots, um, uh, people first uh, type of decision making, which is what we 
we have, or we at least we have, it's in its infancy in Ipswich. Uh, so those CRGs I referred to have already uh, had an effect on on some of the policies uh, put forward by the council, and I believe that's the answer. Now that was uh, Jim Dodrell from who's running for council up in Ipswich uh, in Division Three, I believe. Now, we talked there at the beginning of that interview about amalgamation and, of course, the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance, of which you're the president. It was set up specifically for that purpose of trying to um, challenge the amalgamation of the the shires. Um, Have you been successful in, in doing that? The success in that area has been very, very limited, um, Ian. We had the original four when Campbell Newman came into office in 2012. He said, yes, we will reverse that, we'll do this. Uh, We were betrayed quite admirably, but we did get four councils back into the hands of the people, that is uh, Noosa, Livingston, Port Douglas, and the Atherton Tablelands or Tablelands Regional Council, Mariba. Um, as a consequence of that, uh, and there's a lot of, um, we don't have enough time here for me to give you the full story on it, but after that, um, those referendums went through and, uh, there was such a surge, uh, it, it really surprised Campbell Newman because he thought 2012, the amalgamations were 2008, they'd forgotten about it. Well, they haven't. And here we are in 2020 and the people still have not forgot about it. There'd be at least a dozen areas out there now still asking us, how can we go about amalgamating? Stanthorpe just had a very big effort at it. Um, But the legislation was changed by um, David Christofulli and Campbell Newman as as a result of the four councils that were de-amalgamated that basically says there will be no more de-amalgamation. So Campbell, Campbell Newman kept his promise on that. You cannot de-amalgamate an area or reform another council from within a large amalgamated council now without the approval of the original council and without the approval of the minister. Now, the minister just sits back these days and says to the council, well, you decide whether you want to have less money, if you want to have... Um, less of what you've got now and no council will come anywhere near it although you know up in Stanthorpe uh, the mayor up there said yes we'll sit down and discuss this with you when the time came um, she was quite vitriolic about the people that actually instigated the move to de-amalgamate the Stanthorpe area out of the Southern Downs Regional Council Um, we have areas up in Toowoomba uh, Peak Downs Maryborough wants out of Fraser Coast. Um, there's other sections that are not as advanced, but the amalgamation process comes down to a lot of the, the works that uh, Professor Brian Dollery did, and he said economically they don't work. They're not working. Now, one of the big, um, or, or several of the big issues with amalgamation was, first of all, there was a loss of jobs, um, secondly, there was a loss of representation. There was a promise of that rates would be lowered, um, but they weren't, they went up. Now, when you first set up your organisation, by, by necessity, you were 
looking from the outside and of course you got a lot of support because as you said the people were irate because mm. these things had happened to them and they they didn't ask for it um now are you an organization which is trying to influence what's going on from the outside or are you an organization that is trying to get people elected into local government so that the influence is from within or are you a combination of both i would put it down as a combination Ian. um we are not a political organization uh, as a matter of fact it's quite interesting our constitution says if you're a member of our organization and you um, nominate as a candidate for any election your membership is automatically suspended pursuant um, to the uh, outcome of the elections this allows us, uh, as we see it, to remain outside the political sphere, but to be able to promote good policy, whether it's state, federal or a council, but our focus obviously is with the councils, um, promote good candidates, educate good candidates. And, and this is something that the electors need to look at. They need to look at who is the candidate. Jim mentioned it there. ALP, LNP, Greens, so forth, they tell us they're not involved in any council elections outside of Brisbane. Operation Belcara made a complete lie of that. There was funding from federal and there was funding from states and all to get their people in there. One of the submissions we put to the reforms for the legislation is if you're a member of a political party, you must declare it on all your advertising and everything you do if you're a candidate for an election. That got knocked back very, very quickly. Um, but how can you be a member of... OK, the government's ALP, I'll go ALP. You're a member of the union movement, you're a member of the ALP, you have been for 20 years, but I am running as an independent. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You cannot be a member of uh, a lot of the Chambers of Commerce or LNP. Right? So let's try and keep this balanced. Um, say you're the head of the local chamber of commerce, you run as a candidate, you're a lifelong LNP member, you've been involved with the LNP. You're a party hack. It's as simple as that. And the, mar the party will have that influence. I don't care what anybody says, and we see it. We have, from the perspective of QLGRA, been handed this information over and over and over and again. It's an ALP block, it's an LNP block, and that's the way they do it. Luke Smith, ALP, his favourite saying, you need seven. He had 12 councillors, and that was the basis. He had seven. He ran the council. We saw it in Ipswich. Both those councils don't exist. We see it with my own council, Morton Bay, which <laughs> are more on the LNP aspect of it, so we're getting this balance back as the ex-Mayor Alan Sutherland um, ran for the LNP on state government some years ago. Um, so we find this across the state, that there is no such thing as a party member who is independent in council. They're not allowed to be. Have you ever been a member of a political party? No. Have you been a member of a union? Um, I was after I finished my apprenticeship back in the 1960s, believe it or not. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and in that days it was mandatory union membership. 
And um, so as soon as I completed my... Uh, it was very, very funny because as soon as I completed my uh, apprenticeship in the engineering trades, I had uh, two union representatives, one on either side from two different of the uh, engineering unions going, well, sign here. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, I have. <clears throat> oh, well, that would have been really most people in Australia in the 60s were members of unions. Yes, they I were. I remember yeah. my very first job, I was a laboratory cadet and we had to be members of the technical union that was there. Mm. And uh, so it was, it's a different era that we're talking about. Let's go to a song now. Um, this is one of the people at Deebing Creek that I met yesterday is also a musician. His name is DK, and he says, there's time for action. Let's go to that song now. It's big in the one to the K, and the beat goes. So, will I be there? Will I stand up? Yo. Ticket for the degubbification It's time to back burn off this dead wood we call a nation Free pass for us as the higher class Set aside on no more desired task Never let 60,000 years pass I'm homeland security So get your right mask Fight for cultural heritage purity Cause you're dying fast All I ask is the buttons and titters to act now No matter your background Trailblaze new tracks now Take through to the blackout I'm from the front line I'm yours in the cause I pause for the forces for Casualties of wars Lest we forget the fallen First Nation vets For you I dedicate my utmost respect Because it's time for some action Time to unite, it's time to rise Let me decolonize your mind It's time for some action Time to realize heights The limits of the sky It's time to fight for your rights It's time for some action Grab the beats, demonstrate in the streets First Nations this time, let's play for keeps It's time for some action Ain't nothing sweet You'll fight to those who bring the heat Be prepared to taste the defeat It's time for some action Action In brackets physics An attribute of the development of a system I don't hear it of the market Some act right You will see this black fight Against injustice and inequality This movement's going to the north And the south to the east and the west, wherever we need to invest, the message to clean up this mess. Lyrical act, never to preach. I protest till I can reach all of the rest, so I can speed up the progress. Yes, crucial process. I guess I'm in it to win, not for myself, but for my children. To finish lives of sin, the question is where to begin. Cause it's a long, hard road, like the Millerway Highway. I'll feel carrying a heavy load, already gonna shed it while they spy. Looking at an educated cultural man in practice, black magic. Didn't wanna hit him with a little bit of more madness. It's tragic. Once again, Mr. Get it done. The elimination of competition just begun. It's done. It's time for some action. Time to unite. It's time to rise. Let me decolonize your mind. It's time for some action. Time to realize heights. The limits of the sky. It's time to fight for your rights. It's time for some action. Grab the beats. Demonstrate in the streets. First nations this time. This playful keeps. It's time for some action. Ain't nothing sweet. You'll fight to those who bring the heat. Be prepared to taste the defeat. It's time for some action. Where's the action? Show me the action. We need some action. You know it's what time it is. Where's the action? Show me the action. We need some action. We need action. Yeah. Some 
act right You will see this black fight against injustice and inequality Till the bell gets up, act right, not front to back time I'll be soldier till infinity In front of me lights, cameras, yet I'm infamous I'm known by many, Gamilaroi, Viruai, yep I was raised by many, homeland Roman, my game is Benny, Benny, Veggie action speaks louder than words and words I got plenty. So I speak to the masses and I reach all the classes, where but a small portion of the human race, but who's the fastest? Our people gotta do more live, so watch out when we're gathering, leave them like what's this happening? When the movement happens. It's time for some time to unite, it's time to rise, let me decolonize your minds. It's time for some action Time to realize fights The limits in the sky It's time to fight for your rights It's time for some action Grab the peace Demonstrate in the streets First nations this time Just play for keeps It's time for some action Ain't enough is sweet You'll fight to those who bring the heat Be prepared to taste the defeat It's time for some action So there you have it Another room for 11 production It's time for some action Your big butter DK I done did it again It's time for some action Unite Rise Decolonize It's time for some action Unite Rise Decolonize It's time for some action You're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian, and that was uh, DK with Time for Action. Sounds pretty right to me. Okay, now I'm with Colin Hewitt here, who's uh, president of the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance. In, in um, In local government now, you were talking earlier about the necessity for reform. What, what are the issues? What needs to be changed? Well, to start with, uh, one of the ones that we're pushing very hard on is the pre-meeting meetings being held by councils. And essentially what we've seen with those is council goes behind closed doors, holds a meeting, then they come out to have their public meeting and all decisions are already made. Um, We have seen instances where a councillor stands up to move a motion to do whatever with council, but it comes up on the sideboard with the motion already there, the person who seconded it in the vote. And he hasn't even moved the motion yet. So we want to get rid of those. We want live streaming. It's good enough for Parliament, but councils resist it like there is no tomorrow. They do not want live streaming. Some councils did, and they've done an excellent job of it. And we compliment those, but every council. We want diaries for councillors. What are you doing? Who are you meeting with? What are the discussions about? The Premier, the Vice-Premier, the Cabinet Ministers and everybody else have got this diary. We know where they go. We know who they talk to. We know what what the subjects are. We don't know what councils are doing. We want councils to go back to the five core principles of the Local Government Act, starting with those two most obscene words, openness and transparency. At the moment... They're open to business for anybody that will give them money and their lies and deceptions are so transparent that people look see straight through them. <laughs> it's like, it's a bit difficult. But, yeah, and um, to get councils back to actually governing and looking after the areas in the best interests of the areas. Now, 
Jim Dodrell brought up the point, are councillors redundant? In many instances, yes. I would agree with him. A lot of times, uh, Operation Belcara showed that with the building applications going through Ipswich, there could have been eight, 900 applications gone through the council. Councillors only ever became aware of three. That's not running a council. That's not looking after the people. You know, when you've got somebody three desks down that goes, yes, that form's been filled out properly, ticks it off and it's approved and you've got a thousand house development happening and nobody knows until the bulldozers turn up, that's not acceptable councils. We've got to go back to the people. A lot of councillors, um, or councillors do have access to some funds, uh, depending on which local government area you're in. In the case of Brisbane, it's not a lot, but there is a budget that they have to spend. Now, they seem to make up, most councillors seem to make up their own mind. In my, in my own council, the councillor, Jonathan Shree, he sends out an email asking people what they want the money to be spent on and then they send back and he orders them and does a costing on all of them and then sends that back out and asks people, well, now you know how much it'll cost to put in that pedestrian crossing, change those lights, uh, change the, the way the waste is collected, all that stuff. Um, now, what parks need to be provided, uh, all of those sort of issues, they, the people get to vote on that and nominate what they see as a priority. So now there's that form of representation and then there's the one that you're talking about where they go into closed, behind closed doors, they work it out themselves, they come out and they vote as a block. And uh, we see that plenty in like Morton Shire, your, your Shire, oh, yeah. that's, that's the way they operate. They, they hardly ever, there's hardly any dissent ever. So it's not real representation. So how, how do you, given that there's all this machinations going on behind, how do you get a more democratic system in local government? Well, if need be, Ian, and it shouldn't come to it, but if need be, then the legislation has got to be changed to say you're not allowed to have private meetings. Simple as that. Mm. You know, it should not have to come to it. You know, we should have that. And, and Jonathan's system, I'm well aware of what you're talking about with Jonathan, and I admire him for doing that. And I think he is the only councillor in Queensland that goes to the people and says, I have this discretionary fund to spend. I'm not going to spend it so that you will vote for me and it'll be nice, shiny, pretty baubles. What do you practically need from the council? And if more councillors were to do that with their discretionary funds, instead of going out there buying votes... Which it, and I'll make that allocation very, very clearly. Most councillors use their discretionary fund to buy votes. Simple as that. I'll give you this money. You make sure your people vote for me. Um, and I've actually sat. I can. I can. I was standing beside a councillor when he actually said that to somebody. Um, so there. With your organisation, if people are interested, <coughs> um, how do they join it? How do they contact you? Uh, and what sort of had, what sort of events do you conduct? Well, we've got a, um, um, a forum and general meeting coming up on the 23rd, 24th of May in Monto, actually, Ian. Uh, we hold two biannual conferences, as we call them. Uh, one is the AGM, the other one's just normal uh, general meeting. 
but we uh, engage um, speakers on specific subjects regarding local government, corruption, um, so forth. We have invited a number of government employees, um, heads of various departments from time to time, but they all seem to decline, so we've got to depend on, you know, people like Professor Tim Prenzler and... Um, Cameron Murray. And Cameron Murray. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernie Dowling, an excellent yeah. journalist. Yeah. Um, and, and several others like that. Um, we have a website which we've spent lots and lots of time revamping. That gives you a full overview of what we're doing. We try to keep that updated on any submissions that we've made to government or on reforms and so forth. Uh, our Facebook page and what we're trying to do on the Facebook page this time around and on the website is with this election to be able to list every candidate across the state. And I encourage people, speak to your candidates, whether they're an incumbent or a new person. Find out who that person is. Find out what they believe in. Find out whether or not they are for the community, for a political party or for looking after the status quo. Well, Community Radio Triple Z, through this program and others, our newsroom, we're trying to interview candidates across the state. Uh, I've already covered some of them, but in the lead-up to the 28th of March when the election is held, we hope to cover more. Next week we'll have a full uh, interview with Jonathan Shree about the issues that he's been challenged with by being a first-term councillor of a more independent streak, you know. Uh, let's just now go back to that interview that I did yesterday with Karen Coghill and see what she says is the main issue out there in Deebing Creek. You're on the paradigm shift. It's nearly five to one. And I'm here with Colin Hewitt, who is from the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance. Check out their web website and their Facebook page. I'm sure... I know I've seen the videos of your meetings that you mentioned, your biannual meetings. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I know how it operates and, <laughs> and, what, and how it works. It looked pretty good to me, actually. Let's go to Karen now. OK, you're making a call for people to come here and to participate in this struggle. What are, what are the details of that? We were, we're tomorrow, we're picketing. We want to protect the whole creek. It's, there's an environmental heritage here too. And what we're saying is we should be picketing every development. We've got to really get, come together. And we've got to look at the corruption, the crimes that are being committed right before our faces, like I was saying to you before, Ian. We're, we're perpetrating this when we stand up and do nothing. When we're aware of it and we absolutely allow this to keep going. We are accountable for this and there's a spiritual consequence to all of this and we wonder why there's new diseases introduced and the whole world's at risk. That's what you've got to do is check your spirituality, check your foundations and none, none of the institutions of mankind really do have a true foundation, a true sense of humanity. You have to get out from it back to nature, back to natural law. The previous council here was sacked by the state government and one of the reasons why they were sacked was because of corrupt dealings with developers. We know that the two major developers in this area are Fraser's and A.V. Jennings. There will be a new council elected on the 28th of March and whoever's in that council has to bear the burden of that corruption and that dealing with developers. Is there any way you can see of making 
alliances to help you get respect for the land and further the struggle? Yes, we have talked to a number of people that are running for the candidacy for mayor and we've yeah met a few of them. We've, um, a couple have said that they definitely want to give it back. We've got residents, we've got, it's not even about them, it's, it's, it's the public. They, the public has to be aware of who the hell they are voting for. Are we going to keep perpetrating this shit when people are related? They, they, they're putting their next family member in to be elected. Are we going to keep doing this? This looks like a joke. Look at America. Look at the joke across the whole Westminster system from England. It's a joke. We need to stand up as a people and say, are we going to get it right because it comes from us? Or are we going to continue with this charade called a government? Right down to the local council, how many more have got to be held accountable for corruption? They don't touch Deebing Creek. CMC won't touch Deebing Creek, even though the council went because of dodgy land deals that being made underneath the table. Deebing Creek was a part of that. Pasali and all those other black groups that partied with him, they all are party to that crime and they should be all held accountable and charged for what they did here, shifting legislations around. Due process wasn't adhered to whatsoever. We've got Victoria's seal over, over the land and yet they even went against their own monarchy, which is treason in their own laws. This is unbelievable. That's what we sit under. I, I've interviewed in the last couple of weeks three independent candidates who have spent at the, ex the cost of their own health. They have spent seven years trying to weed the corruption out of, of Ipswich uh, City Council. A number of the people that they pointed the finger at are now in jail. There, there's obviously a streak of independence in Ipswich away from the political parties, like you mentioned Jackie Trad, um, also the LNP. There, there's a, a move away from that. Is this a political movement that, that you're engaged in here? Are you, are you going to be a, politi a collective that's going to engage with people who have similar criticisms of the system? We're as far left as you can go. We're saying the whole system is founded. Their whole foundations are based on corruption. And we're just continually changing legislations and laws and everything. Our people have never, no other people group in this country, let alone the planet, has had so many legislations and changes to their lives, hit with them. Every decade we get a new policy change. Now we've got the recognised coming at us. When we're not even Australian citizens, how could you make laws for us? How could you incarcerate so many of us? How do you justify that? It doesn't matter how much they twist, it's all lies. And we want to get to the bottom of it. Is that too much to ask the rest of Australia to stand with the first people to address this crap that they keep pushing out on us? We don't want, we're not Australian citizens. We never was and never will be. We have to start up a logo with that just to get that through people's head. It's illegal. It's like China coming down here and telling you, I'm arresting you under Chinese law because you jaywalked across my Chinese garden, whatever. And they locked you up. That's exactly what our people suffer when England from the Northern Hemisphere comes here and puts their laws on us. You're killing us. That's, that's what they're doing. And they're proud about it. And then they turn around and go get these statutory bodies to say we're assimilated out of existence. Those that they don't kill. Sovereignty is addressing the injustices. It was saying, 
You did. You failed us. You stole our lands. You left us landless tribes, and we're coming back to reclaim and restore and reparate as best to our ability by any means necessary. Closing comments, Colin. What do you reckon? Make sure that you vote for the right person in the right council. All right. And we'll see you next week.